Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 259 with Adrian Gostick. Adrian is talking about what's up with the best teams and what they're doing differently. And you'll learn one, the differing forces that motivate each generation. Two, how to encourage your leaders to initiate regular career discussions. And three, the best ways to disagree without causing offense. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items that we've referenced, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F259. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I hope you'll look at some of our cool stuff. One cool thing I'd point you to right now is the Gold Nugget email list. So if you're listening to the show, you're running, you're driving, you wish you could take some notes, but you can't, we take those notes for you and send them right to your inbox in terms of the the top insight takeaway goodies that each guest has to share over at awesomeatyourjob.com. So now here is Adrian's story. Adrian Gostick is a global workplace expert and thought leader in the fields of corporate culture, teamwork, and engagement. He's the founder of the trading company, The Culture Works, and author of the number one New York Times, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal bestsellers, All In and The Carrot Principle. His books have been translated into 30 languages and have sold one and a half million copies around the world. Here's Adrian. Adrian, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Well, thanks, Pete. Thanks for your interest in our work. Oh, certainly. Well, I'm quite interested. It seems that you are too, and you apply it kind of in multiple contexts when it comes to studying teams and great performance, as well as in the context of being a high school soccer coach. So I'd be curious, what inspires you to volunteer this way and keep volunteering this way? Well, you know, it's something I've done for several years. I, I started when my uh, my son was the high school uh, goalkeeper and I got involved. And, uh, you know, it's just something, it's, it's great to see young people need that connection to team. It's one thing we've noticed in our research, too, is that especially millennials, Gen Z coming up into the workplace, really spark to great teams. And unfortunately, so many of us are as managers, maybe we're not as good at uh, creating those great teams. So it's kind of fun to to try some of our philosophies out on the soccer pitch. I'm intrigued. Any stories that of sort of leadership, team management, sparking goodness coming to to life with the high schoolers? Oh, it's funny. I think in life we learn more from from our mistakes than we do anything positive that we do. Unfortunately, and you know, when I first started, I was I was assisting the head coach and. I don't think he realized the importance of these concepts of motivation. It was more about the X's and the O's. And he was very good at that. But slowly over the years, we've helped him understand that you're going to get a lot more out of these young men when you begin to understand their drivers, what motivates each of them individually, and quit worrying so much about the X's and O's and worry about each individual, what drives them, what motivates them. And now he's got a team that uh, for the first time ever was in the uh, state finals last year. And he's got a team of young men who walk through fire for him. But it didn't come until he began worrying about the soft side of leading people. Okay, cool. Well, and so then I understand as flipping through here that that is much of the good stuff inside your upcoming book, The Best Team Wins. Tell us what's sort of the main idea within this book and why is this important 
here and now? Chester Elb, my co-author and I, we do a, a lot of work with large organizations. American Express is one of our clients, uh, California Pizza Kitchen. We've got some really fun clients that uh, many people have heard of over the years. But what we try and do as we work with the CEOs and leaders of these teams is to realize sort of what their worries are. So, for example, about five years ago, we were hearing a lot on culture, and we we were lucky enough to become one of the first to write a big book on on culture and how you build a great culture. It was called All In with Simon & Schuster. And then over the last few years, we've been hearing so much about teams that, you know, I know we've, we've heard about teams for a long time. But things are changing, and there are, there are challenges facing teams today working cross-functionally with millennials coming into the workplace with a speed of increased speed of change that a lot of the CEOs and senior leaders we were working with were saying, really, teamwork has changed so much in the last few years. There's really no guide to help me and help our organization understand how to navigate the waters of, of teamwork today. And so that's really was the, you know, the impetus to, to write the best team wins was how do we face the challenges of leading a team in 2018? Okay, well, let's go into it then. So you've actually laid out five disciplines of team leaders. Could you maybe orient us a little bit with a preview to start and, and hear uh, what are those disciplines? Now, again, we're looking at this. We've got about 850,000 people in our database that we're looking at. So we've got a plus or minus here and a fraction of a percentage that help us understand really what the best teams today are doing differently. Now, the best team wins isn't a Bible of everything that you ever need to do to build a team. There's still some really solid fundamentals out there, but there's been lots written on those. So what this is about is what differently what's different about the best team leaders today okay and as you as you mentioned pete it's the five disciplines emerged that we saw in the best teams that had the highest performance the highest engagement levels the first was that managers really did understand there were differences in the generations that they were managing and they learned that they had to manage say millennials different than boomers different than gen x so we talked about that but but it was very data driven and we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, I'm sure. The second idea was that while we do worry about big generational differences, the best leaders are managing to the one, especially helping people drive their career development. That's one of the biggest differentiators today, is helping me as an employee grow and learn and develop. The third was that they are much faster, they are much faster, great team leaders, really speed productivity. They get new people and teams up to speed a lot faster than their peers. The fourth idea was that these great teams that we studied really were challenging everything. They had amazing debate within their organizations, and almost we call it discord, where they were really challenging each other and and ideas. And the final thing we found was that great teams had a focus on the customer that was laser. And now there's probably not a team in America or wherever you're listening who doesn't believe that we're customer focused, but these teams truly were. Every decision, every debate revolved around what really would be the benefit to the customer. So at a high level, those were the five disciplines we found in the research. Okay. Yes. Thank you for that preview there. And I would like to dig into each of these a touch. So yeah, let's talk first about these generational differences. And and thank you for being data-driven. That's that's what we love here. So <laughs> I'm a millennial, I guess, just barely, although most millennials don't like to be called millennials. <laughs> uh, and, and that median uh, listener 
uh, their age, according to my last survey, uh, maybe I need to get 850,000 data points. That's awesome. Is also in the millennial age zone. So tell us, what are the for real differences amongst generations versus sort of the hype myth differences between the generations? And that's a really good point because, you know, a lot of people start tuning out once you start talking about entire generations. It's a little like saying, everybody in Costa Rica does this, or every left-hander is this way. Of course, that's just ridiculous. But what we can find in the data are there are some big changes happening in the workforce that we need to be aware of as leaders. So, for instance, autonomy has long been heralded as as one of the biggest drivers of human behavior. Dan Pink wrote a book called Drive, where he said autonomy was the most important factor driving engagement for and motivation for people. Well, what we find is actually that's true if you're a boomer. It's true if you're Gen X, but it actually is not true for the vast majority of millennials. Most millennials coming into the workplace, 80% in our data, really want to be coached and managed in part of a productive team. They value teamwork a lot more than, than my generation, Gen X, did. We, we much more valued the cowboy, being able to do things autonomously and independently. Well, this is a new generation that really does value working in a team. They found that they're more productive that way. Things that are better things are accomplished that way. Well, that's a big overall finding that as leaders, we should at least be aware of. And it may change how we manage. Now, another thing that came out of the data, If I could jump on that so, in a little bit more yeah. detail, please. That's intriguing. So yes, I too have heard it. Yes, autonomy is the thing. We all want it. And so then maybe I just want to get clear on definitions a bit. So I think of autonomy as sort of the ability to do your work that the way you want to and with the, the time horizon, more or less, that you want to in the location that you want to. How are you defining and viewing autonomy in, in your investigations? No, it's a great question. And one of the things we're finding is that, you know, nobody likes, of course, nobody likes to be micromanaged, do they? What we really think about with autonomy as we study this is that if I am driven by autonomy, I typically prefer to be my own boss and I have like to have a degree of freedom in our work. I typically prefer working alone more than working on a team. I'm giving you the, our definitions in our surveying of people. I typically feel I get more done when I work more independently. Now, as I mentioned, though, nobody likes, well, most, almost nobody likes to be micromanaged. What we're looking at with autonomy are people who like to work more independently. What we look at with this new, and what we're finding is indeed, out of the 23 human motivators we found, autonomy ranks fourth highest for boomers. It ranks 22nd out of 23 for millennials. So that's a huge data shift. Now, that's something we need to look at that says, whether it's because of where I am in my career or because of the generation that I grew up in, where teams were more important, something is happening here where people prefer now to work more collaboratively. And so as a manager, if I'm managing, whether I'm managing millennials or, or anybody coming into the workforce, I've got to find ways to help people work together more effectively, if that's making some sense. I hear you, yes. So I suppose there is a natural tension, I guess, as I'm thinking about myself, it's like, well, I want my autonomy, but I also want to collaborate. And so, but in a given hour of work, it's somewhat binary in the sense that, of course, none of us like to be micromanaged or be in like crazy, pointless, time-wasting meetings. But I think you're right. It's like you're either doing your thing your way 
or you are are having a back and forth and doing something in I don't know kind of like a compromise or a a jointly agreed upon way as opposed to any way you care to roll. Exactly. And by the way, nobody, of course, is one-dimensional. Just as you say, actually, autonomy is one of my strongest drivers. As a Gen Xer, I, that is really one of my strongest drivers. I love to work more independently. But are there times? Well, yesterday, I went down and worked with our little 12-person team, and it was invigorating, it was, and it was wonderful. And today, I'm working alone in my office. You're right. We, you know, We're all a mixed bag. But again, we're talking about trends right now and what we can do with them. One of the other trends we found, which was fascinating, is that millennial age people, so especially those in their 20s right now, are about three times more likely to be driven by external drivers like recognition than older workers. And yet, where do most organizations spend their time recognizing people? It's, it's people who've typically been there a little longer, who achieve big things for the organization, where who needs the recognition? People who are newer in the organization, those who may be a little bit more even insecure about their role. Recognition helps them understand really what they're accomplishing and how valued they are to the organization. And so then recognition here, we're talking about kind of public. Is that fair to say in terms of, hey, everyone, we're presenting the rock stars of the year (laughs) awards. (laughs) So come up on stage and we'll clap for you as we we say something cool that you did this year that was meaningful for us. Yeah. And really, when we look at recognition, though, it's those are nice, but that's once a year and maybe it's once every five years. Those really don't drive that individual performance. What we're finding with recognition, especially with younger employees, that it's has got to happen frequently. It's got to be specific, though. It can't just be, boy, Pete, you sure do good work. No, no. It's, you know, Pete, hey, I listened to your, your podcast last week. You know, insightful questions. You can see already. I'm, I'm motivated, I know what you're doing. Adrian. You, you've got me motivated. <laughs> yeah. So what we're finding is recognition has to be much more frequent, specific, and timely than it's ever been as we sort of think about managing a new generation. Okay. So that's a top tip there for the the millennials. Anything that you would say in terms of a top driver for the other generations? Well, one of the things we find, and again, you know, this kind of leads us into our next idea of while we're being sort of generic here, what we do find is there are certain things that happen as we age. One is that we become a lot more interested in ideas like variety in our work. The worst thing you can do, if you've got somebody who's in their 50s working for you, the worst thing typically you can do is make their job rote. Just the same thing day after day. We become much more interested in variety as we, as we age, much more interested in, in ideas like developing others, leaving a legacy creativity is is it becomes actually even more important as we as we age to to challenge ourselves what we also found is that there are some things that are really quite similar though in our dna uh, no matter what age we are we all want to make an impact well i shouldn't say all but that is really the vast majority of us have impact as a top driver another is learning uh, what was fascinating to us is that didn't matter if somebody was in their 20s or 70s. Learning typically fell as a top driver for the vast majority of people. So a couple of really interesting findings. We're, we're more similar than, than we may think, and, and there are also some interesting little differences we found. That's good. And so, but, but you were getting at, hey, rather than going into broad groups of people, manage to the one 
in terms of of the particular drivers for an individual. And so I'd love to get your take on, well, how do you elicit some of those drivers and then uh, play to them effectively? Yeah, that's a a great question because I I may be sounding like I'm talking out of both sides of my face because I'm I'm saying, uh, you know, in one way, you've got to understand generations. But and that does help us understand from a mass perspective who's working for us. But really, the best leaders that we've studied over the last three or four years as we've been writing this book really do get to know their individuals too. And and in the book, we we have a lot of ideas about how you you figure out the specific drivers of your people. But this all leads to to an idea we call job sculpting where really you're going to sit down with each of your people. And and many of the great organizations we've been studying, they do this as often as monthly with their people. And they have career development discussions every single month with their people. Where are you going? Where are you having the right training, the right opportunities, the right challenges to get you where you want to go in your career? Even if you may leave us one day. What we're finding is organizations that worry about their people's careers are cutting turnover dramatically. And they're increasing engagement levels. And and this is something that's well within the control of every manager. I might not be able to give you a huge raise at the end of the year. I certainly can't impact probably your, your bonus structure too much or your benefits. But what I can do is meet with you and talk about your career and, and how I can help you with that as a manager. Okay, so the sculpting then is kind of like, okay, now that I know that you're interested in analytics, I'm going to be on the lookout for some analytic-y pieces of work that are coming up and, and try to get that flowing your way. Is that what you mean there? Exactly, yeah. And you know, and what we do is we, we give people the structure to be able to talk about this because in many cases, they really don't know what gives them that skip in their step every day. And so we give them a series of questions they can go through and then they can begin having these conversations with their managers that they can scalp their jobs and say, if it is analytics that drives you, unfortunately, sometimes we as leaders sort of peg people into, well, Pete, he's the creative guy. So he always wants to be creative or, or Susan, she's the behind the scenes detail person. I always give her those assignments. Well, maybe Susan wants to work with some clients and, and challenge herself and push herself. So really, this is a two-way conversation to be able to understand what drives our people, and, and also if there's, if there's a chance to be able to give them a few things that will motivate them. In many cases, people will actually even work harder if you take the time to work with them in that way. So then I'd love to hear some of those excellent questions that help surface the stuff that people like and, and gets them going. Well, a few of the things we, we really challenge people to think about in this case is what is it exactly that you're doing, you know, on those days when the day really flies by? What are the activities that really you are undertaking? And also, what are the activities that frustrate your work? You know, that on those days when you have to do them, you hit the snooze button. What exactly is it about those activities that demotivate you? So we start driving down. You know, you're you're using the Socratic method of saying, well, why? Why does that motiv- demotivate you? What is it about that that's frustrating you? So very simple questions that we're pushing pushing there. But uh, And what you do is you start near term, and then you move farther term. So you start with the day-to-day, what's motivating, what's demotivating, and then you go bigger picture. For example, if you had three wishes for your career, what would they be? Because then typically your people are thinking a little further out, five, ten years, and then you can 
sort of talk about educational skills, opportunities that'll be needed, different things that'll help you get to that point. And, and of course, too, as a leader, you're also helping temper expectation and say, to get there, this is what you're going to have to do. Or you may not be ready to get there yet and just be able to have those honest conversations with people. Yeah, and what I think is so powerful about this is is not only sort of the content that flows from it for job sculpting, is also the content that flows from an organizational perspective. It's like, oh, we've got a process that's just broken. Uh-huh. <laughs> you hate it because it really does not make any sense that we do this dumb thing. Or, oh, in this certain area, the decision-making roles are just wildly unclear. Well, no wonder that. That just sucks. <laughs> so let's, let's see if we can clean that up. So I guess it helps them both in terms of the assignments are taken on, as well as cleaning up little messes all around, as well as just conveying that we care about you. Because I think, well, I don't know, maybe you got some data on this. How many organizations take the time to have these conversations? And I guess it could vary even leader by leader inside an organization. But if you had to give a rough guesstimate here, what proportion of leaders are having conversations like this on a regular basis versus aren't right now? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I don't have the, you know, the specific data. We just know these are what we're showing is this is what the best leaders that we found were doing, those that had the highest engagement scores. But also when we would go into an organization, study them, we would, we would you know, for instance, went into Danaher, which is, you know, 70,000 person technology company. And we said, okay, give us your best manager. And they would send us to, you know, XYZ person, and we would interview that person. So typically, we're getting the best of the best. And this is what we're finding the best we're doing. So and they were having these sort of career discussions, these job sculpting discussions, as well as, you know, regular weekly updates with each of their people about what was happening in their job. Uh, so really, this is what the best of the best were doing. If I had to guess, probably 10% of managers, I would say, are probably really good at these, these types of things. But those 10% are blowing the doors off performance. And I guess I, now I'm wondering if someone's listening and you're in an organization like, dang, I wish my boss did that and we just don't. Do you have any pro tips on trying to do a little bit of uh, steering the change or, or starting the shift within if you don't have sort of a big power title authority from a yeah. positional perspective? Yeah, a couple of things you can do is the best team wins is really is a book for anybody who leads a team, but also anybody who aspires to or anybody who tries to influence others around them. And so there are lots of you know sort of hacks for all of us to help us become better at this. You know, if you find yourself as a member of a team and maybe your manager isn't as as good at, at this as, as perhaps he or she should be, you can always hopefully set them up for success to be able to to give them a few of these ideas to be able to say, for instance, on this idea of job sculpting, hey, here's what, you know, I read in this book, uh, you know, this is what Buy some great it. leaders are doing. <laughs> yeah, gosh sakes. Yeah, I forgot to read the book. But just that beside is, you know, this is what some of the great leaders are doing. They're having regular career discussions with their people. It doesn't cost them anything. It's a 15 to 30 minute conversation once a month. And it helps them sculpt jobs, find out what's frustrating them, helps them give direction. I'd love to do that with you. Is that something that you feel like you could commit to just for a few months to see how it goes? You know, there are some simple things you can do to help your manager see the power in some of these very simple ideas. Okay. Thank you. 
Well, so I want to hear maybe just a quick bit about speed productivity, because I want to go into some depth on healthy discord and uh, challenging things. So how does one get productivity flowing all the faster? Well, what we find is there's a couple of things here. One is that we have to help people understand this idea. It's, it's security, if you will. It's overcoming the fear factor and understanding that, look, you now belong on this team. You may be a new employee. You may be brand new to our team, but here's why you were invited. Here's why you were important. And here's the role that you play. Clarity is so huge in this process. The second part, and I'm giving you very fast here, is context. It's helping your new people understand not only where they fit in the team, but where the team fits into the entire organization. You know, you think about it as that you're in the mall and there's the red dot that says you are here. Well, I know it sounds odd, but we are so poor in most organizations at helping people understand not only the big picture, but how, you know, the widget I'm making or the thing I'm selling or the customer that I'm speaking with really impacts the big picture and giving me that context. And the last one may sound really warm and fuzzy, but in great teams that speed productivity, there's a greater level of affiliation, which basically means friendships. I feel like I'm accepted here. I'm valued as a human being. We we found one bank that uh, in our study, it was a call center that simply had everybody go on break at the same time versus the old system where people would sporadically go when they could. The entire team went on break for 15 minutes. It was a silly little thing, but they had to do a lot of work to send the phones elsewhere. But all of a sudden, productivity soared, and people started looking out for each other. And why? Because well, they, they knew each other's families. They started talking about things. All of a sudden, they became a tighter team. So there's lots of little things you can do to build these ideas of affiliation and, and context and security to help build a great team and fast. Okay, cool. And that notion of security, I think, really does help enable folks to feel capable of engaging in some some healthy discord and some to do some challenges. And so I think that you had a great turn of a phrase about uh, disagreeing without causing offense. And uh, boy, what a skill for our time to, and place right now. And I think that it's huge. And so I'm a believer and I'm so curious on, on your take in this, any sort of data-driven insights and particularly how do you get there, especially whether it's sort of changing from within? Hmm, when people disagree with me, I feel offended. <laughs> or, or changing, I know you can't change people exactly, but influencing others to adopt that same kind of a mindset where they too can be challenged and not think, well, this person's dead to me or, or they're an enemy of mine. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but how often do we yeah, have we probably most of us have worked at some place or other over the years where debate is just quashed. It's whether overtly or covertly. You know, I, I had a boss who stormed into my office once after I debated with him in in one meeting, and you know, he told me, "You'll never do that to me again." Do you think anybody was giving their best ideas in an, in an environment like that? So, really, what we found, we do have quantitative data that says, "Look, you know, those environments that are more." The debates are more innovative, et cetera. But this is more on the qualitative side, that when we went into these great organizations, we would ask them, okay, how do you create this discord without it turning into a melee, into turning into, as you said, where feelings are hurt, et cetera? 
So typically they have some sort of ground rules. You know, things like, you know, you look, you challenge the position, but never the person. You don't make things personal. And again, the ground rules come up and, and then the, the leader of the debate may say, whoa, 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 I think we're crossing over the line there. You remember our rule is, for instance, another one, seek to gather facts and don't jump to conclusions. Okay, so another rule we heard in another team. Uh, another word was, another one was, uh, remember, you're not in the competition to win. The best ideas win. You're not here to ram home your points. And so I could go on with the rules, but really that's the aha from this is that there are rules and that there are some rules to make sure that debate is lively and all of us want to, to argue out things. I mean, you think of your last family event. Did you guys sit around and just, or, you know, and just make small talk? Or did you start debating politics and sports and all the things you're passionate about? Of course, we do it in our personal lives. We want to debate in our, in our work lives. We want to make things better, but there do have to be rules that help keep us positive and focused on the right thing. You said we could go on about the rules, and I really would. I'd love for you to go on about the rules. Could you share a couple more? Yeah. Another one is, and this is an interesting one, is that one other rule we heard quite often was, look, after the team makes a decision collaboratively, we're going to support it, even if it wasn't our own idea. Now, that's huge, because you may not agree with it after you leave. And it doesn't mean we all have to be automatons, you know, and and our robots here walking around. But the point is, if we're a team, we're going to support the team. And one of the things we heard, one great CEO that we interviewed for the book said, typically, he says, 98% of the time, he says, my team, as they're debating, is able to come up with consensus. And he says, I really don't have to make a decision as a leader, because it's so obvious by the time we get there. Now, and there are a couple of things he says you've got to do, though. He says, Typically, you may have somebody on the team who hasn't spoken up, and you've got to make sure they're really bought in, because they could leave and, and sort of undermine everything. So he may say, you know, Cindy, you know, you really haven't said anything. I need to hear from you. What are you thinking? You feel like we're, we're on the right track or not? And he says, so there are times, he says, where, you know, I do have to make a decision. I do have to say, but he says, you can still be very respectful about that as well. So for instance, he may say, Boy, there's been great debate on both sides of this issue. Reasonable person could go either way. I feel like we got to make this decision and go this direction this time, but thank you so much for this excellent debate. Now, really simple, right? He says, but by doing that, next time people feel free to speak up. And when they leave the meeting, they don't feel like they've been quashed. They feel like their voice has been heard. So just some really simple little things we can do to create this environment where we lead debates and we help steer it toward a great conclusion where people are still respectful, but the best ideas emerge. Perfect. Thank you. Well, Adrian, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? You know, one of the things I guess I, I would say with this is, and it's always fun to hear, is that now and then after we put out a book, and I think this will be the same way, this book's coming out February 13th, but so typically, I get some emails afterwards about different things and how people are using this in their work situations. But what's been really fun is that people will send me an email and they'll say, I've now tried this at home, and it actually does work. Some of these different ideas about debating healthily or, or the ideas about understanding what drives each person and, you know, or figuring out what our collective challenges are, what our purpose is and within our families or you know, our relationships. So 
it's fun to see this work at work, but it's it's really quite heartening to see these also work in our home lives too, in our in our personal lives. So there's just one little thought. Oh, that is good. Thank you. Cool. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? One of the things my Angelo once said was that people don't care or they, they won't remember what you say or they won't remember what they do, but they'll always remember how you make them feel. And what really what our whole career has been about is, is helping leaders and managers and people who want to become leaders of others succeed. And one of the things that, you know, really we have to remember as a leader is that you know, you don't know where people have been. There are other you know, 16 hours they're not with you during their day, but but the eight hours they're with you can be the best hours of their day. But really, it's a sacred charge. We've got to realize these people in our care are literally in our care. And how do we how do we motivate them? How do we engage them? How do we challenge them to do more than they ever thought possible? That's our charge. Oh, cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Let's see. Well, I mean, we do so many, uh, so many you know, research studies ourselves. One of the bits of data from the best team wins, actually, is, and this really shocked us, but we found it over and over again, was that how much time people typically spend today in working collaboratively. And Deloitte has found that 80% of an average employee's day is spent working collaboratively. Now, that is is definitely a change from even just a few years ago. We are moving at light speed toward a world where, you know, we no longer work alone. We work with others. And we really have to figure out how we work best with each other, in many cases, change our thinking about this. And how about a favorite book? Let's see. I just finished a terrific book called Beneath the Scarlet Sky, I believe it's called. It's about, during the Second World War, an Italian young man who helped Jews escape across the mountains, the Alps, uh, during the Second World War. And it's just, it was one of the best reads I've, I've read in a long time. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? I travel a lot, so I'm always on you know the Weather Channel app. I'm always sort of surfing, sort of blogs. I think, you know, it really, it'd be hard to nail it down because I really do believe, whether I'm you know, reading the Wall Street Journal online or the Harvard Business Review blogs, that there's so many great ideas out there. And unfortunately, so much of it can start sounding the same. And what I really look for, and in, in, you know, as a team, the, you know, our little company is called The Culture Works. We're firing things back and forth every day using Slack, actually, one of the tools we use. And we're, we, hey, did you read this article? Like yesterday, it was an article uh, from ESPN on the Patriots and the, the sort of the dysfunction that's going on right now via communication in their team. And we started talking about what's falling apart, you know, for a franchise that's done so many amazing things for so many years. And we started talking about that idea of it's communication. It's is Belichick having problem with generations and this, that, and the other. We just started bouncing ideas around. It was a really fascinating discussion. And so I think that's one of the things we have to do is, is keep pushing ourselves and our teams to learn and to grow and to think about problems from different perspectives. Excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit, something you do that helps you flourish at work? Well, one of the things I, every day I'll probably put in three or four hours of, of writing because, you know, whether sometimes I'll be out working with a client. and But if I'm in my office, I'll, probably half a day will be spent writing, but the other half will be spent reading. So I think it's so important 
you know, whether you're reading a, a, the new business book or articles in, you know, journals or publications or blogs or, or listening to podcasts like yours, whatever we do, I think that one of the things I try to do is make sure I'm learning and growing and, and not stagnating. And is there a particular nugget or piece that you tend to share with clients or audiences or readers that you find is often repeated back to you? Uh, an Adrian original that's really resonating. <laughs> you know, one of the things we try to help people understand is you know, because everybody's so focused on the customer and we let them know that the customer experience will never exceed the employee experience, that you know, you've got to start the service profit chain with your people. Because if you care about them, they will care about what you want to care about. But they've got to know you care first. Okay. And Adrian, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Thecultureworks.com. We've also got a uh, website at carrotguys.com. So we'd love to connect with you. Send us a, send us a note. Pick up the, the new book, The Best Team Wins. And uh, we'd love to hear if it's working for you and your organization. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I think probably the, the most important thing is what we it's really... Every day, you've got to be focused on, if you are a leader of people or you're a leader of projects or teams, the little things really do make a big difference. And what we're saying from all of this, I, you know, I've given, thrown out lots of ideas and talked about a lot of stuff today. Really, try one thing at a time. <laughs> and don't try to eat the elephant. Is there one thing you can add tomorrow to your management style, your leadership style, the way that you are a part of a team or operating the team that may make you more effective, that may make you more valuable to your people and to those around you? But don't try to do everything. But if there's, you know, in the back of our book, we got 101 ideas from real team leaders. Grab one of those and, you know, see if it makes your team better. You know, that's, that's what I would recommend is, is don't try to do everything. Just try one thing and see if it works. All right. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for taking this time and, and sharing these perspectives. I think this is so powerful and has the opportunity to be transformational in many ways for many workplaces. So I wish you tons of luck with this book and all the things you're up to. Hey, thanks, Pete. And thanks so much for your uh, great questions. Appreciate it. I love the turn of a phrase, disagreeing without causing offense. Or I'd also say disagreeing without taking offense. And I think that just sort of uh, highlights the distinction very clearly and very succinctly. So I hope you dug Adrian's tips on how to make that happen and, and liberate some goodness of healthy discord within your team. And if you want to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items that we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F259. If you haven't already, I hope you push subscribe. You'll hear from our next guest who is Dean Lindsay. And if February has hit and your New Year's resolution is uh, nowhere in sight anymore, Dean is bringing it back with regard to keeping the fires of motivation stoked. He talks about big fat goals, that's P-H-A-T, and how to stick with them and make it happen. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.